Our scripture reading today is found in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And our message today is entitled, Ceremonial Laws Fulfilled, Sacrifices No More. This is the Lord's word. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it. For that will be detestable to him. If a man or woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, your God, in violation of his covenant, and contrary to my command, has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them, or to the sun or the moon or the stars in the sky, and this has been brought to your attention then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. The hands of the witness must be the first in putting the person to death. And then the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. One more time. Good morning. Good morning. God, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it is a wonderful morning. When I look out and see your faces, and I hope that once you greeted one another, that what you see are people made in the image of God. That what you see when you look into their eyes is you see stories of who they are and where they came from. That when you look into their eyes and perhaps you get a glimpse of their hearts, you see people doing the best that they can. But see people who are eternally loved by Christ. That you see people who are struggling to understand the fullness of God's grace and God's mercy and falling short, we urge one another to say, we will always fall short. But God's love for us never falls short. That you here in this room would have love that's patient, long-suffering, true and honest to each other. For God's love for us is not a love that is artificial, superficial. He's not like us. His love is pure. And so we receiving that love and do so likewise from one another. So welcome. Welcome here. Look around you. 
These are the people that God has brought into your lives. Love with the power that the Lord Jesus has given you. As we continue in our series in Deuteronomy, we come to the section of Deuteronomy where we start talking about laws. Now, for a quick overview, remember Deuteronomy is simply a series of sermons that Moses is giving the second generation of Israel before they cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land of Israel that God had already promised them. These people, the second generation, either did not experience or do not remember that the Lord brought their forefathers out of Egypt. They don't remember the plagues. They don't remember the crossing of the Red Sea. They don't remember the pillar of smoke or the pillar of fire. And here they are standing at the other side of the Jordan River, waiting to take possession of what God has promised them. We've seen already through Deuteronomy that there's sort of two or three themes that run through it. One is grace. The whole book of Deuteronomy is about the fact that God has given them this land, that God has blessed them with this land, that God will continue to be their God regardless of what Israel has done or has not done. God does not sort of bless people according to their deeds, but God simply chose Israel out of his, his good pleasure. This God, a God of magnificent love, this God who does not judge according to what our sins deserves, is the same God that loves us. That for us, the, the story of Deuteronomy is a story that God's gracious love has been given to us, regardless of who we are, what we have done, that we simply receive. The book of Deuteronomy is also about law. And we see that the law is given after grace, not before grace. That the law is simply there to show us and to remind us of how much God loves us. When God says to us, thou shalt have no other gods before me. When he says to you, thou shalt not murder. When he says to you, thou shalt not covet. Those laws are not there to simply restrain us. They're not to be burdensome to us. But those laws there are there to remind us of the graciousness of God. If we start to remember, I shall not have any other gods before me. I shall not make anything, an idol in the fashion of God or any other God. I start to remember why. Because God is gracious to me and he loves me. When I stop, when I start thinking, you know what, I, I, I can't covet I can't want what other people have. I can't steal. What does that remind me of? It reminds me of God's graciousness. He's already given me all things. And he will continue to give me all things. The purpose of the law is not to, to make you feel as if you need to do something to earn his grace. It's to remind you of the grace that God has given you. And so that's what Moses is trying to, to, to impress upon these people. The purpose of the law, yes, is to refrain you from evil. 
But if you set apart the law from grace, it becomes burdensome and heavy and will destroy you. But if you remember that the law points you to God's love, it frees you, empowers you, and actually gives you joy. And so we come to the part where Moses starts to talk about here are some specific laws that I want you to keep once you cross the Jordan. And, and these laws are for your sake, that you may see the gracious God that I am. But not only for your sake, but for the sake of the peoples who surround you. That when you see how much you love keeping the law of the Lord, that they would see that that God is a gracious God. And that they too would come to worship me as well. So now we get to the point where we, we see that there's in the Old Testament, here in Deuteronomy, there's actually three different types of laws. And this might get a little bit academic here and there, but I'm hoping to help you to understand the Old Testament so that when you go back and read all the scripture, you could say, oh yeah, I remember when Pastor Young was teaching this in Deuteronomy and you know, these things still apply to us today. These don't apply to us today. And, and this is the reason why. This is what... It, why it encourages us today, and we've got to be careful here, because we, we, we do not live in the Old Testament anymore. We live in the light of Christ. And so we have to understand how to interpret these laws and understand these laws. There are three types of laws that we see in the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, or in the Mosaic law. They are what we call the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, and the moral laws. Ceremonial laws, the civil laws, and the moral laws. And today I want to talk about the ceremonial laws. Now, here I just gave you a snippet of God's call for holiness. God's call for us to be separated. God's call for even his altar to be perfect. Now, if we look at Leviticus, you will see that in Leviticus, they will teach the, 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 the author goes on to talk about the details of what the temple needs to look like, of what the priest needs to look like, and of what the sacrifices need to look like. It's so much detail that you, you feel like you're reading the, 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 the agreement at the end of, a, at the, end of the, the Apple software thing, you know, the, the, the whole thing that nobody reads. It's like, oh my goodness, you know. That's a lot to read. You just sort of glance at it. You don't read it until something wrong happens and then Napa calls you up. You read things like, you know, the, when you sacrifice something that should be without blemish. When you sacrifice something that shouldn't be of cloven hoof. It talks about the, the, the temple itself, that it should be constructed in such a, such a way that only certain priests can come in and only certain people can enter into that area. That if someone sacrifices in a manner that's not worthy, that they should be, they should be stoned. That this center of worship, the sanctuary, is to be kept spotless and pure for all time. 
And for many of us, when we look at that, when we read that, we, we, we see, this is, this is too much. This is too much detail. This is a God who's an OCD, my goodness. Why does he demand such a high level of purity for the sanctuary, for this place of sacrifice to occur? In our passage today, you see this. It says that you should not sacrifice an ox or a sheep with any defect or flaw in it. And later on, you see that even the people who are coming before God, that they need to be pure of heart as well. The ceremonial laws here are to show us several things. First is the holiness of God. The other, other, otherness of God. You know, we in our culture today, we like to make God in our own image. We like to think that there's a continuum of being from us to God. That somehow we are God-like people. That there's a part of us that is divine. And that God is simply sort of like me. And so therefore, my attributes of perhaps being imperfect, my attributes of what I consider to be, you know, a good person, we sort of project that onto God. We sort of bring down his character and his holiness into something that we can grasp and understand. And God becomes something less than God. And God becomes what, what I like to call simply our aphoristic God. We like the nice verses that we can put up on the walls and read. We like to go through our Facebook feed and, and look at the nice little, you know, three sentences that somebody posts and go, that's, that's, that's my God. We read scripture according to how can God help me? And we forget the total otherness of God himself. God is God, the creator. We are his creation. There's nothing in between that links us together, that we are like him. The only reason why we know who he is is because he condescended to us, spoke in ways that we can understand, and ultimately in the shape of his son, Jesus Christ, who we believe is what? not a mixture of God-man, somehow in our created beings that we, we have this nice little uh, um, continuity, but Jesus is what? 100% man, 100% God. 
100% like us, 100% unlike us. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that is holy. This is the God that is other. This is the God that we would not recognize if he did not reveal himself to us. This transcendence of God we've, we've lost. We like God being our friend, but we forgot the God that we worship. And so when we read things like this, about God's demand for holiness, of God's demand of otherness, of God's demand of a perfection that we don't understand. It's a reminder to us that this gracious God who loves us is a God to be feared and a God to be worshipped. Yes. Does it sound harsh that we need to find the perfect animal? That one little blemish, we just got to give it away. To me, it sounds harsh. Is it harsh if, if a priest who is given over to, to, to the works of handling the sacrifice and giving the sacrifice, if there's something wrong with him, needs to be outcast? And then here, you get a glimpse of this moral law that we are to stone someone. has done wrong unrepentant we can read this from our own perspective and say this is too harsh and throw away scripture or we can say God is fully other to be worshipped and to be feared Let me tell you, you do not want a God in your own image. You do not want a God that is like you. You do not want a God that will bow to your desires. You do not want a God to give you what you want at every moment. You don't want a God where you set the rules. Because later on, you will have contempt for that God and look for another. Our God is worthy to be worshipped. Our God is worthy to be praised. Our God is worthy remain unknown in many parts but that which he has revealed to us we are grateful and thankful for we worship him who is not like us 
but worship him who is God. The second thing that we understand about the ceremonial law <coughs> is that the sacrifice is necessary for this holiness and for our sins. See, this is, you, you got to really think how remarkable this is. God does not say to us, find some animals, sacrifice them. And after you sacrifice them and they're acceptable to me, then I'll call you my people. And just like in the Lord Jesus Christ, God doesn't say to you, I need you to do X, Y, and Z in your life. Change your life completely. And then I'll show you who I am. But again, the, the, the laws are set there to remind people that their sins need to be taken care of, to be atoned for. And a reminder to God's people that the graciousness of that is symbolic, let me put it that way for now, symbolic in the sacrifices of these animals. Can you imagine going to the midst of Jerusalem where the temple has been built and seeing smoke every day and the burning of flesh every day? People making pilgrimages from different parts of Israel to bring their sacrifices or animals, waiting in line. Could you imagine that the big festivals where they doubled or tripled the amount of sacrifices? All for a reminder, not to appease God, but a reminder that God's loving graciousness comes at a cost. And so here are the people of Israel, reminded of their sins, reminded that they must be forgiven, and reminded that this token animal, somehow God accepts it. Somehow it pleases him enough to forgive us of our sins. You see, even though we understand that God's grace is great for us, we know that in our hearts as, as people, we are people who always want to make atonement for ourselves. And we have a hard time receiving grace from people. We want to somehow add to it in order to appease our own conscience. I still remember, many of you have heard this story when I was a, 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 a staff worker for InterVarsity down in Philadelphia. And I was one of these people who, uh, my car, I think I got a brand new Corolla. Wonderful car. Corolla's a good car. And, but I always let my students drive it. If someone needed a, a, a ride or the car, I said, just borrow it. It's no big deal to me. To me, a car is a car. It's just, it's just the way I live. Okay, so the, my, that Corolla got beat up pretty quickly. I don't care. It's just, it's just how I live I'm with, with cars. <coughs> and I remember one of my students, Craig, uh, he had opened the door accidentally when he was filling the gas and it hit that one of those big poles. And there was a dent 
the car. He brought it back to me. And I was like, oh, okay, Craig, it's no big deal. Some of you are kind of like, Pastor, you're crazy. I'm like, no, it's just, there are things I hope that you guys give that doesn't mean as much. Like to me, giving out books is a big deal. <laughs> but well, my car is not a big deal. Okay. Um, um, <coughs> but I remember he felt so bad. He felt so bad. And I told him, Craig, it's okay. It's just a car. It still drives. It gets me where it wants to go. No, no real chip, just a little bit of dent. It's not going to rust. Just, it's no big deal. And I remember uh, over the course of that semester, at least once a week, he'd always bring it up. He goes, oh, young, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Go, Craig, it's okay. And after a while, it got annoying. <laughs> and I said to him, you need to repent. He goes, what? You need, to, you need to repent because you don't believe that I've forgiven you. And that I don't, you know, it's, it's dead. I don't care. I'll, it, I devalues my car, whatever, but I'll, I'll eat it. I don't, it's, it's okay. And from that point on, he, he avoided me for a while because he didn't know what to do. But we do that to God. And even in this time frame, they do that to God. That the, the sacrifice ceremony system that God has placed was there to teach them. And they were making these sacrifices, hoping and, and praying that, that God would forgive them through that. But they forget that God's graciousness Is beyond just these animals. It's ingrained in us for the law to be burdensome. It's ingrained in us to want to make up for something. Now, if you're one of those people who, like, someone says it's okay, you walk, or walk away and say, oh, cool, I just got away with something, you need to repent too, okay? But for many of us, we've got to make up for it somehow. We've got to give back somehow. And the third thing that these ceremonial laws does for us is the most important thing. You know, I like saying this over and over again because... I believe that most of us want to see miracles. Most of us, if we see miracles, we, we will say that our faith in God will be strengthened. You know? But the truth of the matter is, is that even if we see miracles, we tend to forget very quickly. Uh, we see that in the Old Testament. Many of you have, would have you know, loved to be there when you, see, when you saw Moses part the Red Sea, right? You would have loved to have been there. Most of you would have, would have loved to see David and Goliath. Most of you would have loved to see Elijah's battle at Mount Carmel where Elijah said, 
here's my sacrifice. Pour water on it, as much water. Pray to my God, fire. But the people in the Old Testament, I believe they understood that these animal sacrifices they were making were not enough. How can sacrificing an animal appease my God who is that holy and that other? How can a sacrifice of an animal, even without blemish, satisfy the justice of my God? How can we, whatever we do with our good works, satisfy our God enough to forgive us of our sins and to forgive us the tendencies of our hearts to forget him. And so it's a setup. The ceremonial laws are a setup. They're a setup for you and me to see and understand that in the end, it's not going to work. It's a setup for you and me to see at the end that these are simply training wheels for you to understand something greater. It's for you to see at the end that what you see as miraculous is what you see as, as, as uh, miracle signs of the Lord is nothing. compared to what God will give us. And these ceremonial laws point to simply one person. And that's who we worship. It's Jesus. Do you not recognize that Jesus as your priest, he is the one who's the perfect priest who offers the sacrifice the only one worthy to offer any sacrifice to the Lord. But not only that, but he's also the sacrifice itself. The Lamb of God who's placed on the altar according to what is demanded here in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And it's his death and his sacrifice that God accepts. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes more sense than sacrificing a goat or two turtle doves. That makes more sense in God's economy of how to satisfy his wrath and his love for us. And so the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Jesus himself. And Jesus being the final and ultimate sacrifice for all sins. And this is what's beautiful about it, is that Jesus' sins, uh, Jesus' sacrifice, 
cleanses all of God's people from Abraham. It's like, really? Abraham. Why is Abraham in heaven? It's because of Jesus. Why is Moses in heaven? It's because of Jesus. Why are you in heaven? It's because of Jesus. Why are all those people who went before us, who go ahead of us, who come to know Christ, why will they receive God's grace? It's because of Jesus. And it's him that we worship. And it's him that we serve. And it's him who has fulfilled that ceremonial law. So if you think about it, let's think about it outside of time and space for now. What does God do? God graciously bestows upon you the title, my son and my daughter. God graciously forgives you and loves you. God graciously is for you and with you. God graciously wants you to know how holy and just he is. Yet God graciously keeps saying you're forgiven. And all of this is done because of one person, Jesus Christ. And our duty is simply to believe on him who has done all things for us. Now, if we live, we live in a temporal world. So we see the sacrifice in the Old Testament and we all think, oh, that's what God wants. No, that's not what God wants. God's preparing you to see that the only thing that will work is Jesus. And we live in a time now that we don't sacrifice anymore. Churches don't, we don't have an altar because Jesus' sacrifices once and for all. So everything we see in the ceremonial law right now, we, we don't do any of that. None of that. Because Jesus has fulfilled all of that. But there is something that we need to do. Romans chapter 12. When Paul says to us, offer your bodies as living sacrifices on the Lord, for this is the reasonable or the spiritual thing for us to do. But that term sacrifice is not the same term that we see in the Old Testament. It's not the same sort of weight that we see in Jesus. That would, that would be foolhardy to think that. But our duty is God's people who've been given grace upon grace is to obey his moral laws, is to be like him. Out of thankfulness, reasonableness. For if God has given you that, all of this, should we not give him all grace and all glory? This is not quid pro quo. It's not God gives us something so we give him something back. Because what he's given to us there's no pro part for it. <laughs> That's the right use of the Latin. But what it is for us is simply a reasonable thanksgiving to our God. Brothers and sisters,
the message today is very simple. You don't need to sacrifice anymore. You don't need to prove anything to God anymore. Receive God's grace. And when you live unto him, don't live as if you're trying to gain his favor. Live in thanksgiving and enjoy for him. For his laws are not burdensome unto us, but his law is joy that we may remember his graciousness and provision unto us. Let's pray.